This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day four. We've been talking a lot over the last few days about the importance of systems, um, understanding them, the role they play in shaping our society, um, the role they play within our organizations and the work that we do. Um, we've been talking about how <clears throat> to talk about systems and how we frame problems to get people on board with the notion that things can change. And today we're quite fortunate to be uh, hearing from someone who is at the forefront of driving one of those systemic changes. So we're really happy today to have Shirley from the Go Foundation. We are big fans uh, of the Go Foundation um, and have been since I was introduced to it by Adam Goods a few years ago on a bike ride um, from Perth to Broome in 2017. I was fortunate enough to be able to spend a little bit of time with Adam as we rode through the, through the desert and into the Kimberleys. Um, and I got to hear about the work that they were doing um, and I, I really like the, um, the work that the foundation's doing, um, but it's also a great case study in how to scale um, systemic change and, and how, to, how to begin somewhere um, and how to make a real difference. And I'll let Shirley talk about what it is they're doing and how it is they're doing it and the sorts of things that are going on. Um, Shirley, thanks for joining us. Morning, Steve. Great. All right. Morning, everybody. As Steve said, my name's Shirley Chowdhury, and I'm really privileged to be the CEO of Adam Goods and Michael O'Loughlin's Go Foundation. Before I start today, I would like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging on the land that I'm on today. I'm on Camaragle land and I pay my respects to Camaragle Elders of the Eora Nation. One of the things that I've been really fortunate to learn and that we're really strong on at GO is that when we give an acknowledgement, we give a story, we share a story. And today I'd like to acknowledge that Indigenous Australians, our First Nations people, have been telling stories and sharing stories verbally like this for millennia. And I think we're so fortunate because with the Uluru Statement, our First Nations people have given us an invitation to walk alongside them as we work to build an Australia that is uh, the country that we all deserve to have and all deserve to live in. GO is doing such a small part of that work to get us to that space. And I feel really lucky today to be able to share that story with you. I'd like to um, start today with a video. GO puts culture at the centre of everything we do. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means later on. But in this video, uh, you'll see culture intertwined with the stories of our students. And it features the Bangara dancers and two of our students, two of our original students, Lua and Yaren. Uh, hang on, sorry. Mm, okay. Uh, give me one second while I unshare and reshare. Huh, Annabelle, it doesn't seem to be running. Uh, um, what are you sharing your screen through? Uh, through PDF, through PowerPoint? Yeah, I shared it before. Let me try something else. Hmm. Um, I, can get, um, um, I can't even get it working on here. Where is the issue? It's not letting you go oh, next. It's not going to the next screen, which is bizarre because you and I tested it out just 10 minutes ago. It's bizarre. I will. Okay. Sorry, I'll... everybody. Just give us one moment, please. Let's try something else. And you're running it through a PowerPoint, aren't you? Yeah, I am. So let's look at PowerPoint sharing settings. 
Something's changed just in the last, uh, since you and I, um, no need to worry, we'll get there. Sorry, everyone. You're fine. What I might do, um, Annabelle, if I can leave you to try and fix that, I wonder if I should just, shall I, do you want me to try closing it and reopening it? Your presentation? Yeah. Give that a go. And you're running it the same way we did previously? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. No difference. Okay. We have a hand. Uh, no, it's oh, there's just something so powerful. Okay. You can't see my screen yet, can you? No, you might want to share your screen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Teamwork, right? Yeah, sorry about that. No worries at all. I'll leave you with it and I'm here if you need me. All right. Start again. And there's just something so powerful about sitting outside at night, alone, just looking at the stars. It's a great feeling being on country. It's a big experience. Love everything about it. My great-grandmother and my grandmother were both a part of the Solon generation and that's definitely affected us because there's all these gaps in our knowledge, like we're missing that connection to country and our land and our people. I definitely see some of these experiences shaping my identity and it's a massive privilege to be a part of a culture that's been around for more than 60,000 years. Education is the most powerful tool because it unlocks so many opportunities and it changes my potential. I tell Aboriginal kids having an education does open up doors for you, that there is support out there. Indigenous culture, it's for everyone and I think that you define it. So put yourself out there, give it 100%. I believe that there will be opportunities. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Education gives you freedom. You're the one that gets to retell that story for generations to come, making sure that it continues for another 60,000 years. So um, that kind of is a glimpse into, uh, into two of our students. And at the end, I'll share a video with you that Adam and Michael have made to talk about the journey through education. Why do we exist? Australia boasts the, in our First Nations people and culture, we boast the oldest living culture in the world. Yet at the same time, sadly, our Indigenous people have the worst statistics out of any Indigenous people in the world. And I'd like to share some of those stats with you this morning because these stats are what drive the work that we do. If you are an Indigenous man, your life expectancy is nine years less than a non-Indigenous man of the same age. If you are an Indigenous woman, it's eight years less. If you are an Indigenous youth between the ages of 10 and 24, you are 24 times more likely to be incarcerated than you are to finish year 12. That statistic always drives home to me how bad the situation is in this country and how few opportunities our Indigenous children have. And think about it, if you, if in, a lot of you will have children. So if you're an Indigenous child between 10 and 24, you are 24 times more likely to end up in jail than finish school. I just, I think that is a damning indictment on all of us. Indigenous women are today the fastest growing population in our prisons. And on the closing the gap targets, of the seven targets, only two are on track today. So child mortality, life expectancy, employment outcomes, school attendance and literacy and numeracy are all behind. And that essentially means that if you're born Indigenous in Australia today, you can expect without intervention, you can expect all of those life outcomes and indicators to, um, 
not hit parity during your lifetime with non-Indigenous Australians. And that's what we're here to do. On nutrition, health and well-being, obesity, employment, smoking, suicide rates and incarceration, our Indigenous people fear, fare worse than if they were non-Indigenous. And it's those statistics that drove Adam and Michael to do something. So our founders are these guys, Adam Goods and Michael O'Loughlin. And for those of you who are AFL fans, um, you will be well acquainted with these guys. And uh, if you're not an AFL fan and weren't in a box for the last five years, you'll be well acquainted with Adam Goods, who was Australian of the Year in 2014. When these guys were playing footy with the Sydney Swans, they were they arrived in Sydney as young draftees and the Indigenous community in Sydney embraced them. And they always wanted to give back to the Indigenous community to say thank you. So in 2009, Michael retired from the Sydney Swans as a footy player and with their good friend James Gallishan started Go. And it was called the Good Lachlan Foundation back then. And they got a small government grant from the state government and they went to a town in southwestern New South Wales called Dayton. And in Dayton, they did everything. They did well-being and health programs, nutrition programs, flu vaccinations. They erected a, um, a playground for kids. They did employment programs. And Mick tells a great story, actually. They went to uh, a school and they'd organised for flu vaccinations to be given to all the classes. So the classes started filing in and the first class comes in and one of the kids turns around to Michael and he says, oh, Michael, I'm scared. I don't want a flu vaccine. I don't like needles. And Michael turned around and he said, don't worry, mate, I'll have one. So he had a jab. Then that class files out and the next class files in and another kid says, oh, Michael, I'm scared, I don't want a jab. And Michael says, don't worry, I'll have one. Anyway, by the end of the day, legend has it, and stories are always a little bit embellished with Michael, but legend has it that he had eight flu vaccinations that day and was sick as a dog for weeks and weeks. But to me, that story encapsulates who our founders are. They give their heart and soul to go. And even though they are both really successful businessmen today, they both run their own companies, they are heavily engaged in go. And if we have students in distress or students who are struggling, Adam and Michael will be the first people to pick up their, the phone and call them to give them uh, their, the benefit of their experience, their lived experience, and a little bit of um, comfort. Michael is our deputy chair at GO and Adam is the chair of our scholarships committee. So on both those fronts, they're really heavily involved. So Dayton continued for about three years. And when Dayton finished, they had two real learnings. The first was, if you try and do everything, you really don't do anything really well. And the second was that because of who they were and their connections to football and the, all the contacts that they had made through their career, they could actually garner a lot more support than was on the table from, say, that government grant at the time. So organisations like Bunnings and Lendlease and so many more came in and supported them during that time. So they took a gap after Dayton and they spent some time looking at where they should really focus their attention. And what they found was that if they focus their attention on education, that could be the silver bullet that really makes a difference. Adam and Michael have a huge range of skills, but I think one of the best ones is that when they don't know or they need expert advice, they pull in the right people around them. And in 2013, they pulled in through their connections at the Sydney Swans, I think one of Australia's leading not-for-profit boards. So the likes of Sam Moston, you might have seen Sam on Kurt Fernley's program last night, Ken Boundy, Peter Muir, uh, and we've moved to strengthen that board uh, since 2013. But these people jumped in around Michael and Adam and they helped start what is the organisation today? And they partnered with an organisation called AIEF who gave private school scholarships 
And in 2015, we gave out our first 15 private school scholarships. Now, our program has changed dramatically since then. And on Friday, we gave out our 532nd scholarship, the bulk of which are public schools. So the focus has really shifted. And I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through. So in 2015, we had uh, 15 scholars, all in private schools. But what we had was Adam and Michael's gut instinct that we needed to do it differently. And their gut instinct um, focused on a number of different areas. I'm just going to, um, give me one sec, I'm just going to change this. Okay. It focused on a number of different areas. Um, they thought that culture should be at the centre of everything we do. They thought that Indigenous role models were vital to our kids. They wanted to focus on girls and they wanted to focus on public education. And when we looked at those things in detail, um, we realised that we needed an empirical base to really make that the basis of what we were doing. So in 2017, we went out and with KPMG's help and Arilla, um, KPMG Arilla, we put together this research. And we looked at the correlation between further education and better outcomes for Indigenous kids. And what we found was, we think, really groundbreaking for us. Because on every front, we found that the gut instincts that Adam and Michael had were backed by research. So the research told us that culture should be at the heart of everything we do. Because if Indigenous kids had a strong cultural identity and understood more about their connections to the land and their history and their heritage, that that would prove to be, that would prove to, um, that would give them a better basis for success in education and training. In our research, we found that girls were being get made offers, were given offers to university and further education at the same rate as boys, but they weren't accepting those offers at the same rate because often they were given caretaker duties in community or asked to look after people or asked to go to work. We found that role models are even more vital to our Indigenous students than they are to non-Indigenous students. And the reason for that is many of our kids today in their immediate vicinity don't have the role modelling that, say, my kids might have. So my kids might grow up with scientists or doctors or lawyers or hairdressers or council workers or teachers in their vicinity. And because they have these people in their vicinity, they grow up thinking that those people are... they. Um, they represent the range of possibilities for themselves. And when you grow up in a situation where perhaps your parents don't go to work every day, perhaps your grandparents were stolen and that has created intergenerational trauma in your family, perhaps where the people in your vicinity are school teachers or work for council, you don't have that role modelling in your life. And so you don't always know what you can be. And one of our ambassadors, Brooke Boney, always says that you can't be what you can't see. And so we found in our research that actually putting these role models and stories of success in front of our students was vital. We also found in this research that money's not enough. You can throw as much money as you wanted a student by way of a scholarship, but that isn't the trigger that makes a difference. What really makes a difference is the support and the hand up that you provide the students on their pathway through, through school and through university. And it's that holistic support that we wrap around our students that I think makes our, our organisation unique. And I'll talk a little bit later about what it is we give our students through a scholarship. But in many ways, a scholarship is the wrong word to call what we do because it's not just money. It's a whole range of other things, including access and opportunity. <coughs> Excuse me. Adam and Michael were both um, children of single mothers. 
and they grew up with lived experience of not having enough of having to travel a lot. Michael tells stories of having to share undies and socks and having four siblings in a bedroom and having to wear his mother's sneakers when he didn't have sneakers. And Adam tells stories of moving around a lot and not being able to go on excursions. And they wanted to help and work with students exactly like them. And the research told us that those students, those ones in the lower SES brackets were in public schools. So now the gut instinct that they had, the culture at the centre, girls more than boys, eldest kids, role modelling, public schools. Now we had the research base to, sh to tell us and guide us in what we wanted to do. So um, we looked at the demographics of Indigenous students across the country. What we found was that there are 213,000, or there were in 2017, 213,000 Indigenous students from kindy through to year 12 in Australia. And of those 213,000 Indigenous students, about 15% were in independent schools. We figured that the ones in independent schools, <coughs> excuse me, who are already there, didn't need the kind of support that we wanted to give. So we did the we did our research, we looked at the numbers, and we realised that there's about 60 to 80,000 Indigenous students who don't have the tools and the resources every day to succeed in school. So in our first round of applications, we asked a number of questions, and one of the questions was, what is it you don't like about school? And in that first round of public school applications, we got 44 applications and every single one of those 44 applications said the same thing, that school was their safe place. But it's not their safe place anymore because they're getting in trouble for things that, they, that are out of their control. So, for example, on day one, an Indigenous student might go to school and he's just like everybody else wants to be there, wants to learn, and he's turning up. And we always say turning up is half the battle. Turns up, gets homework and assignments that night. Excuse me. Um, gets homeworks and assignments that night, but doesn't have a laptop and doesn't have Wi-Fi at, school, at home. The school is struggling for resources, so also can't give the kids access to Wi-Fi or laptops. So now on day two, the student arrives at school and they're in trouble for not doing their assignments and research and homework, something completely beyond their control. They're the same as everyone else other than that on day two. And then at the end of day two, they go home and the same thing happens. And every day they come to school, they fall further and further behind and continue getting in trouble for things that are beyond their control. And that seemed to us like a really easy fix in our program. And I'll talk a little bit later about how we, how we move to fix that. But through this research, what we did then is we created a program that did a few things. We put culture at the heart of everything we do. And that's culture in our programs with the kids. It's culture in our programs with our corporate partners. And one of the things we do is it would be a wonderful thing if we just created this army of individuals to go into corporate Australia and organisations to work. But we're not doing our job if we're also not working with our corporate partners to create culturally safe and inclusive workplaces. So we see that as a big part of what we do. And you see these photos here are on the left uh, is a smoking ceremony. And this is a smoking ceremony that opened our graduation ceremony at Bloomberg last year. And you can see the crowd there participating um, in that ceremony. Uh, and the one on the right is just a, a close-up of that. We also put a focus on girls. So 60% of our scholarships go to girls. And we calculate that with every round of scholarships we give and then we constantly recalibrate as we give scholarships and, and uh, scholarships finish. We also focus on eldest children. So where there's a choice, we will always give the scholarship to the eldest child. 
And the reason for that is that the research showed again that if you give the scholarship to the eldest child, the role modelling in that family and in that community is immense. It's like a ripple in a bucket. And so we focus on eldest children. We also put role models in front of our students. And we talked about Indigenous success. And these are some, these are our ambassadors. Linda Burney, who's um, a House of Reps member, Black Douglas, an artist, Brooke Boney, who's on Channel 9 and is a journo, Dan Sultan, the ARIA award-winning musician, and Professor Anita Heiss, who is a very prolific author um, and writer. And these role models come to our events, they come to our mentoring days, they interact with our students uh, and they provide support to our students as and when they need them. We have a saying at GO, once a GO scholar, always a GO scholar. And this photo here is of our beautiful Year 12 and University graduates last year. You have to remember our program is still really young. We started with 15 scholars in 2015 and whilst today we have 532 and each year our graduating class will get bigger and bigger, uh, these are the kids who graduated last year. Um, and we again held that graduation ceremony at Bloomberg and those sashes they are wearing were designed by Zach Bennett Brooks, who is an artist who gives a lot of his time to go. Um, and that design uh, is on all our graduation sashes and on our application forms. So what do we do and how do we do all of that? How does it come together? We provide scholarships from kindergarten right through to university, to public and independent schools um, in a way that we've already talked about. Each one of our scholarships are decided on the same criteria. And we talk at GO about a GO way of doing things. And I think that that GO way of doing things comes through everything from our criteria to how we spend time with our kids. Our criteria are um, numerous. So we look at first um, aspiration and ambition. What does the student want to do after school? And what are their aspirations for further education? That research showed us that if we can get our students into a period of further education after year 12, and it doesn't matter what it is, it could be university, it could be TAFE, it could be a job ready program, it could be an entrepreneurship or accelerator program or on the job training, just a period of structured learning. Then we found that all this magic happens. Obesity rates go down, nutrition rates go up, smoking rates decrease, child mortality decreases, the prospect of owning their own home goes up, employment prospects increase and um, uh, employment rates increase. Um, we found life expectancy can even change. Every life indicator that we talked about in the stats earlier on, every single one of them is affected by education. So that research Adam and Michael did at the beginning that said education was the lever was absolutely right. So we look for that in our kids. We want kids who are going to go on to further education to something after year 12. We also look for cultural strength and identity. And they don't have to know who they are. They don't have to know everything about the history and heritage. They just have to have that deep-seated desire to know and have to have demonstrated that desire somewhere in their life. So they might um, do Indigenous dancing. They might do welcomes to country at school. They might do mentoring of other students. They might, might take part in other Indigenous programs. We look for that connection somewhere. We also look for kids who give back. And we, I, think, I think we look for that in um, a number of really interesting ways. They, it could be that they look after their siblings after school while mum and dad are working. It could be that they cook meals in the evening. It could be that some of our kids work part-time jobs to give mum money to support her paying the rent. So we look for it in a variety of ways. But what we're looking for is kids who put others before themselves. Because it doesn't matter what your circumstance or who you are, 
we want kids who think about other people and who are going to lend a hand to the kids coming through the program, just like Michael and Adam lent a hand to them. And that's Michael and Adam's entire thing, ethos, is giving back, cultural strength, aspiration and ambition. So we look for that in our students. We also then look for a passion and financial need. Now, financial need used to be at the top of that list, and we realised that financial need is so often there. It's not something we ever have to go looking for, but it's those other things that indicate success for us. So the same criteria apply across all our scholarships, and we give those scholarships, as I said, from kindergarten to uni, Every single scholarship has the same three components. The first, and I think the most important, is cultural and aspirational mentoring. So prior to COVID, and I'll talk a little bit about how we pivoted through COVID, but prior to COVID, we used to bring our kids together three times a year for mentoring and then two other times for events like the launch event, which is the top left-hand photo in this, uh, in this slide, and the graduation ceremony. And you can see here a number of different photos, all from our mentoring days and our events and the kids that turn up to those. And in the bottom right-hand corner, you can see uh, Adam with the entire group that day. And that photo was taken after some Indigenous dancing. And on the left there, there's Adam reading at um, one of our um, Indigenous schools, Gawara, with one of the kids in the morning. So... That cultural and aspirational mentoring used to be delivered face-to-face -face, and it's about getting our kids in, strengthening their knowledge of who they are and how they're connected to this country and their heritage and giving them the strength to fall back on when things get tough. The afternoon is all about aspiration. And we might bring our partners in that day to talk about career pathways. We might bring universities and TAFEs in. We might bring other organisations to talk about their scholarships. We might also bring other charities in to talk about the programs they're doing and have our kids volunteer on those programs. So those days, I think, are the key for our kids. They love them. And we have one student who's, um, who was on a previous slide who really struggled to come to that day. She didn't think there was going to be any value in it for her on the first day. And she came and I said to her, if you come and you don't like it, you never have to come again. And today she, there's a um, social media post going out from Go Today called A Yarn With Go that celebrates our first 15 students. And in that, Tanisha talks about how she didn't want to come and now you can't keep her away. So I think those mentoring days um, are really the reason that our kids keep coming back. The second component is access and opportunity. So we work with our ecosystem partners to give opportunities to our kids. And we realised really early on when we were crafting this model that we can't give the best opportunities to our kids by ourselves. What we did was we created this idea of an ecosystem and it's based on collaboration and collaborative thinking. And we ask our ecosystem partners, so our corporate partners, our Indigenous partners, individuals who support us to come together and provide opportunities to our kids that they otherwise might not get access to. So these opportunities could be uh, internships or work experience, invites to Bangara performances, could be invites to opening nights of um, to hear speakers. So our kids attended the opening night of the Human Rights Institute at UNSW, and they got to hear firsthand from Magda Zubansky about the marriage equality debate. They got to hear from David Gonski about um, business and about why it's so vital to have diversity in business. And it's these opportunities that again go to creating um, role models and putting role models in front of our kids, but also showing them the possibilities of what they can do. Showing them that actually we have such high expectations for them. We think they can do anything. They can be anyone. And the only thing stopping them is the lack of imagination on understanding what's out there for them. And so our ecosystem partners provide those opportunities. The third bucket, 
And I think probably the least important bucket, but the one that facilitates these kids' journeys through school and university is financial assistance. So the financial assistance is scaled according to the age and it starts at about $500 in primary school and goes to approximately $10,000, $15,000 in university for the more expensive degrees. And that financial assistance is to allow our kids to even the playing field. So if we go back to that example I talked about where the kids don't have the laptops and Wi-Fi, all of a sudden, if they have a Go scholarship, they can buy a laptop, which is subsidised through Go. They can get Wi-Fi put in their house, which is also subsidised through Go. They can go on excursions. They can buy sneakers for PE and school shoes. They can buy the uniforms that they're wearing. They can get access to tutoring or musical instruments. They can go on school trips and camps for the first time. And many of our students tell us that when they get a GO scholarship, they attend excursions for the first time and that they, they don't feel less than because now they've evened the playing field. And that to us is vital because ultimately, the key to our program is making that trip through school as rich and rewarding as we possibly can. Because we believe if we can do that, then our students will self-select further education. Because why would you self-select further education if that journey through school was um, hard and you weren't operating on an even playing field? So that's what our scholarship does. It broadens perspectives, it evens the playing field, and it shows our students every day the possibilities for what they can do and what they can be. And I think that is what is so vital in our program. COVID threw a curveball for GO, uh, just like it did for so many other organisations. And we immediately had to move to cancel all our student events. We had to look really quickly for uh, other avenues to provide that cultural and aspirational mentoring and give them access to opportunities. And I have a, we have a small team at GO, there are only six of us, but I think my team is an extraordinary team. And they worked so hard during COVID to make sure that we didn't drop students, that they continued to get access to the same program that we had promised them. So over the last few months with COVID, we've done a number of really interesting things. We changed, we developed a um, weekly newsletter called GoQ, um, which we curate ourselves. It has content from our um, partners in it and we share culture and aspiration through that. And at the beginning, it was a really great way of also sharing um, vital information on COVID. That has continued and it will continue now. At the beginning of COVID, we were responsive to the needs of our kids. So it went out every week. What we realised uh, as we hit a status quo with COVID, and I think I've had this conversation with so many corporates who've said the same thing, that we've eased into more of a routine now. We realised we didn't need that newsletter every week. The kids, the engagement scores were dropping off. And so we went to every two weeks. And I suspect that by the end of the year, it'll drop down to every month. The other thing we did is we started to develop online mentoring programs or episodes, and we're gonna continue doing that. So in the first one that we delivered, Adam and Michael did a yarn session where they talked to our students who all zoomed in, and uh, they talked about their own lived experience. And the kids had an opportunity to ask questions. And that was a beautiful session. It's an amazing thing to see students sit asking their idols questions. And these students walk out of that room just a little bit taller, with their shoulders just a little bit straighter, because they can see that they've, these two guys are in their court and they are there to back them. We also have Adam Hill, Black Douglas, one of our ambassadors, talk about his journey through Australia with music and his, um, his experience with didgeridoos and, um, and music. And the kids were super engaged. It was a really wonderful, wonderful session. The ability to pivot digitally 
has given us insight into what we could be. And I'll talk about that in the future because in a few minutes, because I think um, without COVID, we wouldn't have had um, some really exciting ideas for our future. And, um, you know, it's really interesting how these ideas evolve. The other thing we did during COVID is we realised really quickly that if you were a student and didn't have a laptop or Wi-Fi during that COVID lockdown, you were going to be shut out of your own learning. And we knew that there are Indigenous kids out there without these tools. We spoke to the schools and they told us there was a big demand. So very quickly, we um, worked with our partners and uh, with the NIAA and we gave out 230 technology scholarships. Each scholarship had a number of components. It had the laptop and the Wi-Fi, which we gave out. It had 24-7 um, online tutoring, school and subject support through Studiosity, our partner. It had access to all our cultural and aspirational mentoring that we were now delivering online. And we were able to put these students in touch with third-party support where they needed them. And what that showed us was that we didn't have to deliver face-to-face -face programs to make a difference. That actually we could deliver, um, we could deliver programs online and we could be just as effective online as we were face-to-face. -face. We would love to see our kids. My team is all dying for this to finish so we can see our kids in person. Um, but we don't know how long that's going to be. So we're now working on a program which, and I don't have any timeframes, but we believe we can deliver this program to regional and remote Australia through a digital platform. Not looking at digital as a channel of distribution, but looking at it as a place where we bring our students together, regardless of where they live. And we think we can provide those same pathways that we provide to our students in urban areas to us to students in remote and regional areas. So we're super, super excited by that. Because of all the work we did during COVID, we expanded faster than we had expected to expand. And as I mentioned, we today have um, 532 students. And you can see some of the interactions there on that slide. We are really proud of all of these kids. And um, they, um, I think they will go on to be our leaders of the future, to show us what we can do if we actually work together and embrace each other. And before I finish, I wanted to share with you one story of uh, how our ecosystem came together to support one student. In 2017, about three weeks before the HSC, we received an email in our Go Info box from a young social worker who said that she'd been working, she worked at Life Without Barriers, and she was working with a young man who was living in out-of-home care. And this young man um, had been reclassified um, in the out-of-home care program because he couldn't find a foster, foster home. He was a 17-year-old Indigenous man and the desire to host a 17-year-old Indigenous man wasn't high among foster carers and so they'd had to put him in out-of-home care. And he was living in violent surroundings where he didn't feel safe and she shared some of the stories that he had of living in those surroundings. And this email was very similar to lots of emails we get, except for one thing. At the end of that email, it showed, it said he wanted to be an astrophysicist. And that really piqued my attention. So I reached out to this young social worker and asked for more information. And this resulted in me meeting her and this young man, David, for coffee one afternoon. So we got that email on about the Wednesday, on the Monday we met for coffee. And this young man said to me, I said, what do you need from me? What can we do for you? And he said, if you can just get me a safe place to live, I will do the rest. He said, I promise I'll work hard. So the next day I sent an email to our ecosystem partners 
and I asked for a number of things. I asked for their support to give him a safe place to live, to give him access to some tutoring for the HSC, give him access to a job in the Christmas holidays and access to university. And we must have shared about 35 emails that day amongst a, a close group of ecosystem partners. And by nine o'clock, I had our partners on the phone in tears because St Gregory's College had offered him a place to live regardless of whether he wanted to go there to school or not. GHD had offered him a part-time job after the HSC finished and UTS had offered him a Vice-Chancellor's scholarship to go to UTS and live at UTS while he studied in a Bachelor of Science degree. He moved into St Gregory's College on the Sunday, so I met him on the Monday. He had an interview on the Friday. He moved in on the Sunday and he only had three weeks left. And the school said to him, you don't need to wear uniform. Don't worry about any of that. You can go to your old school. He took one look around and he said he wanted to stay there. The year 12 kids went and all uh, gave parts of their uniform to David so he could wear school uniform for the last three weeks. And he attended St Gregory's College until the HSC. The tutoring he received from that school in those three weeks raised his marks from the trials by 25 marks. He worked at GHD, got inspired to be an engineer and started engineering at GHD. Oh, he started working with their engineers and then he started engineering at UTS in the January. Now David's still connected to go, but we've learned a lot since then. And we've learned that um, on, on every front, whilst we always aim to do the, the right thing and good things, um, not every child will succeed through GO. David is still with GO, he's still at uni, he's still working with Mark, our head of scholarships, um, to get the education that he wants. But with so many kids, we've realised that the program is really built for children who have that ambition and aspiration themselves. Like David said, he wanted to be an astrophysicist. So we're learning, we're putting outcome measurement in, we're really trying to understand where we can tweak our program. We have an incredible team of people who are driven every day to put their heart and soul into this program. And I am just the caretaker. Adam and Michael, this is their vision. And so I hope today I've shared with you a little bit about their vision and what they're trying to do. This is their legacy. And since we started, we've taken the program into Adelaide and on Monday we launched in Canberra. And we hope that with our new program, we can take this program even further and make a real, real difference. If you haven't read the Uluru Statement, I would urge you all to read it. It is available on the GO website. Um, it is an invitation from Indigenous Australia to walk with them in this movement and journey for a better country. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shirley. It's such a good story. Um, and like that, that idea that children who have that ambition, who have that desire, who have that curiosity, aren't going to be held back because of their circumstance is, is exactly what we should be aiming for as a society. That we, we can follow to the greatest extent that we choose rather than our circumstances dictate. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, and we I always kids, don't let money be the reason you don't need something. And we can fix money. Money is never going to be the issue. What we're looking for is kids who turn up, you know, kids who make the effort and kids who know that if they work hard, there is a connection between hard work and success. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I, I, I want to go to uh, a, a question that's been put in um, to the Q&A panel and uh, it's been posted anonymously. Um, it says, my family is of the Wongi people, but my personal experience is growing up as white middle class, quite disconnected from our culture. I don't feel like I have a right to be active because of my background and appearance. How can I learn more, connect or give back in meaningful ways? But uh, to be honest, Steve, I'm not sure I have um, the authority to answer that question as a non-Indigenous person. I feel like culture is something um, very special and um, that that answer should come from Adam and Michael uh, or another Indigenous person. I think from my, my perspective, we have students that go who have um, 
who know that they're Aboriginal but have never had that connection through their lives. So one young man um, whose Aboriginal father has been in jail his whole life and he's never had any connection. What we seek to do at GO is we seek to provide um, a richness of understanding and knowledge through our program. And so we tell kids that if you're a Wiradjuri, uh, if you're Wiradjuri or you're Gadigal, we won't give you um, knowledge that is specific to your mob or specific to your heritage. What we will give you is a deeper understanding of um, Indigenous culture across Australia. And I have, um, I will never speak for Adam and Michael, but um, to that person who put in that question, I would suggest that um, that you have as much authority and right to delve into your culture as any other person. And um, I know that um, Adam and Michael and our ambassadors are always saying that culture is there to be shared. And I just think how fortunate are we in this country that um, Indigenous Australia wants to share that culture with, with us. And I can only say that if Indigenous Australians want to share that culture with me, and I've been so fortunate to hear and be part of that, then it's a no-brainer that they would want to share that culture with you. And so I would encourage you to go out and ask questions and learn as much as you can because my life is better for having learnt about Indigenous culture and, I, you know, I imagine that would be the case for everybody. Thank you. Um, Kevin asks, uh, Australians are great at donating to earthquake or tsunami victims across the globe. Why do you think we don't contribute to our own Indigenous peoples? Well, I'm not sure that we don't, to be honest. I think um, the GO has been incredibly fortunate and um, we have been the recipient of um, all sorts of donations and the recent Black Lives Matter movement was no different. So people were looking for an outlet for um, donations and we were, I think, one of the um, organisations that was the beneficiary of, of that thinking. To me, I'm not, you know, whilst I'm not sure that we don't donate to the cause, I think sometimes we lack a generosity of spirit and we forget that um, Indigenous Australians, our First Nations people, were here for 60,000 years before us. And, you know, we've gone through um, such a turbulent history in this country and we're not always generous enough to acknowledge the truth of that history. And so to me it's much more about a generosity of spirit and an opening of our arms and our embrace to say that this, is, this country that we call Australia is... Um, is our country that is to be shared and Indigenous Australians have never, ever suggested that that's not the case. And so I think, you know, it comes from and that lack of generosity of spirit comes from a number of different areas. Perhaps we're scared. Perhaps we don't understand. And I think that's why the Uluru Statement is so important because it is such a generous invitation, um, you know, and so I think it starts there. Great. Um, I, another question, um, I'll, I'll read it out. It says, thank you, what a wonderful story and so many learnings for designers. What resources do you recommend for us to learn about this culture so we can design for country? I think, um, look, that's a really great question. And, um, you know, Indigenous people are the biggest font of information. So on our website, we've got the Uluru Statement, we've got a page on culture, um, and we um, share a lot of art uh, on, our, on, our, um, on our website. There are so many great books. You know, there's the Sydney Wars, there's um, books on our history. Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu talks about our agricultural history. And the first bakers ever were Indigenous. You know, our agricultural, um, the Indigenous agricultural methodology that we've used in this country has led to sustainable farming. And when we were going through those dreadful bushfires, um, you know, so many people asked the question, 
where would we be if we continued that sustainable farming? So books, The First Australians, SBS, NITV, these are just wonderful fonts of information and, um, you know, I would encourage everybody to delve into it. And I think I know um, during the conference you've all um, heard a lot about designing for diversity and bringing in different mindsets to your designing. I think um, that is so important. It is we need to start speaking to all Australians and we need to start speaking um, through design and through structure um, to every Australian being inclusive. And I think quite often through unconscious bias and through our own privileged upbringings, we shut people out without realising it. So I love the focus that this conference has had. Thank you. Uh, Nigel says um, New Zealand has had its struggles culturally and continues to, but they've had great success putting Indigenous culture first. Has there been any learning from how New Zealand has approached this issue? Well, I think, I mean, you know, New Zealand has done such a wonderful job. Um, maybe it started because of the treaty. Maybe it's been because, I mean, their history is a little different to ours. Um, I would love to think that we've, we're learning from, from New Zealand. I'm not sure that's the case. Um, I think there is a move now um, for a period of truth-telling and treaty-making and constitutional recognition. And I think that has the answer to our future has to lie in that. You know, Victoria is moving to a treaty. I hope the, con the government moves to constitutional recognition. Um, but, again, it takes all of us. Just like with things like gender equality, it takes male champions for change. Um, Indigenous people need us to walk alongside them to, to change the way we do things. Um, and I'm a big believer, everyone will have different views, but I'm a big believer that we can't go forward without examining our past and understanding exactly um, what our history has done to Indigenous Australians. We, I don't know if I answered that question, Steve. But. No, the, the, one of the things that we are terrible at in Australia is the recognition that this country has a racist past, that it has a racist present, and we will continue to be a racist country and have a racist future unless we acknowledge that and unless we set about actively changing and becoming anti-racist. Um, the Uluru Statement is a great step in that, um, in that journey but we haven't even begun that journey in truth yet. So at the moment, we are on a path to continue to be racist in how we treat people. We, are, we will continue to have institutionalised racism and systemic inequality as a result for people of colour in this country um, because we're not taking the steps to change that. So um, one last question and then I'll let you go. Um, this one comes through um, anonymously and it says, I'm a recent white immigrant and have been curious to learn more about Indigenous knowledge. It's great there's a donation structure, but how do we move through that to appreciating the value we can all benefit from Indigenous knowledge? I think, I think we've spoken about that quite a bit already. I think like it has to start with the Uluru Statement. I know I keep coming back to that, but it is, I think, one of the most important documents that has been written in this country. Um, you know, it is an invitation to Indigenous, from Indigenous Australia to everybody else to join with them on this journey. Um, and it goes back to um, donating is important, absolutely. Uh, and without donations, Go has no business structure. You know, we rely on donations to issue those scholarships. But it's about creating opportunity. It's about the little things. If you run a business, make sure that you are opening those opportunities up to any, everybody. And I'll, just before I go, Steve, I'll share a very quick story. One of our partners told me that they run a careers night every year um, where they bring in graduates. So graduates apply for this careers night. They come in, they run a series of um, workshops and kind of tasks through the evening. And then at the end of the night, they pick one graduate to do an internship with them. And uh, they said, we don't understand why we're not getting Indigenous kids coming to this careers night. And then we went and looked at some of the structural issues in there. 
they do it at night. So if you're coming from Campbelltown or Western Sydney and you finish at 11, you can't travel home. They send the invitation to universities. Uh, it was, I think, Sydney and New South back then. So they were missing a big cohort in some of the other universities that were more potentially more diverse. Um, and then uh, they weren't sending all the information to public schools. Like there were a whole range of different things that were in there. So I'll just encourage everybody that when you go to order flowers, ask yourself, is there an Indigenous supplier I can use? If you go to put in a hiring practice, ask yourself, do you have the right policies and practices in place to be able to get the most diverse group of people in your organisation? If you're setting um, goals to get, you know, 10 interns in, ask yourself what proportion of those interns should be um, Indigenous? What proportion of those interns should be from a culturally diverse background? We have to challenge ourselves constantly to ask those questions. And we have to get the information from Indigenous Australians. This is not for us to dictate. We, our voice uh, at GO comes from our founders, our students, our ambassadors, our patron, the Indigenous members of our team. And I think that is vital in everybody's organisation, in everybody's life. And share the story. Share some of the stories that I've shared this morning. Go home and share those with your family and your children and inspire your children so they share them with their friends and their families. And then what we'll have is a ripple effect. And we're after audacious philanthropy and systemic change. And it takes all of us to do that. Well said. Thank you very much, Shirley. Thank, Thank you, you for taking the time and being with us. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.